Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Go ahead and welcome our online community. Thank you so much for joining us. We are now uh, ready to move into the message, and I'd like for you to, uh, I'd, I'd like to share the message title of today, and my title for today's message is Three Epic Questions. Three Epic Questions. Now, hear me well. The coming of Jesus Christ, I believe it is very near. And we absolutely must be fully committed, devoted followers of Jesus Christ because this is a critical season that we're living in. And, and we, we, we need to live with authentic Christianity. And, and, and part of our goal is, is to continue to grow spiritually. We don't just get to this place like, well, I've arrived because none of us have ever arrived until we get to heaven. And if you have arrived, then God will just go ahead and remove you and take you to heaven. But so, so that lets us know we all have growth that we need to do. And so today I'm going to be addressing three epic questions that a lot of believers are asking about discipleship and about spiritual growth. And and so today's sermon is a little unique, uh, but at the very, very end of the sermon, I'm going to give you the opportunity to participate in a spiritual growth survey, which will help you to see where you are spiritually as well. Now, uh, go ahead and look up two locations in your Bible two different locations, Galatians chapter 5 and 2 Timothy chapter 2. Galatians 5, 2 Timothy 2. You see those on the screens, Galatians 5, 19, 2 Timothy 2, 2. Uh, because I want you to see what's actually there in the Bible. See, you have no idea. I might be saying something that's not in the Bible, so you need to be able to have your Bible, look at it, and make sure that I'm actually telling you the truth. You think that's a good idea? Yeah, it's a very good idea. That, that's wisdom. Yeah, that's, those are just sounds that they make around here sometimes. Those guys will check on stuff, all right? If there's a problem, we'll, we'll let you know, okay? But thank goodness we do have the, uh, the, the fire department right here, which is all, where all those sounds come from. So, All right, let's, uh, let's, let's jump in here. Okay, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. If you, can, uh, if you can ignore that sound somehow, all right? This, it's not a civil defense warning, and if our building's on fire, the fire department comes, okay? And the rain already put it out, all right? Are you guys okay? All right. So uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about something called the five-fold ministry, five-fold ministry. And you know what? That sound is annoying to me and to you as well, isn't it? And it... I don't like to blame everything on the devil, but sometimes I think we just need to recognize it for what it is. I start preaching, and all of a sudden, loud noises start popping up. So can we just pray about it? Yeah. All right, let's just pray. I mean, this is church. Why not? God, I'm just kind of annoyed with that sound right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help it to stop in Jesus' name. Whatever's causing that, give our guys wisdom and the, the, the ability to see what it is and to get that thing knocked out, taken care of, just, uh, just eliminated and, and help our ears to not even hear it, to tune into what you're saying and to not to, to listen to annoying noises that are in the background. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. All right, we're going to move forward. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about something called the five 
fivefold ministry. And, and the fivefold ministry, and you don't have to turn there, but, but it, it talks quite a bit about it in Ephesians 4. But it, it lists these five offices. The, these are five different things that people do. And, the, and it says there that they are gifts from Jesus to the church. So it's called the fivefold ministry. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, we, we have smart people in the house. I love that. So, so what these five offices uh, are is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. So we call that the fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. So, so Jesus gives the church these gifts which are the, 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 the offices themselves, so that the, uh, the body of Christ will be built up. And, uh, and so all five of these help us to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ and to simply become mature believers. Now, God does not want you to remain a spiritual infant. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. God doesn't want you to remain a spiritual elementary kid. God doesn't want you to remain a spiritual middle schooler. God doesn't want you to remain where you are. No, God wants you to keep growing and growing and growing. So, so in order, and, and, and the, the scripture says that, that, uh, that God desires this, and he gives these five gifts to the church so that we won't be easily deceived. What happens is, without the fivefold ministry, Scripture tells us that we open ourselves up to deception and, and, and lies. And so, so these gifts, which is, I'm one of them, I'm, I'm the pastor, that's one of those fivefold uh, gifts, then those help us to grow in our faith and prevent us from, uh, from any kind of weird type teaching or anything that's out there that's simply not true. So... In order to fulfill my job description, which is found right there in Ephesians chapter 4, I am told in the Bible that I have to speak the truth, and I have to speak it in love. That means I speak the truth, and I do it with a smile. I don't go and slap you upside of the face or anything like that, okay? So I have to speak the truth and speak it in love, and I have to challenge you to grow spiritually as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to propel you toward Jesus, and I want to propel you into the world on the mission of Jesus Christ, and ultimately so that you will be stronger, stronger in the Lord, stronger spiritually. So spiritual growth is critically important. I want you to grow. I want you to be healthy spiritually. I want you to thrive. I want you to walk in spiritual maturity. I desire that for you. And so today I'm going to challenge you on personal spiritual growth. I'm going to speak the truth in love. And I'm going to do it through three questions. And here's the first epic question that I'm asking you today. Am I growing spiritually? These are questions that you may be asking. Am I growing spiritually? I mean, how in the world do you know? Well, I'm going to tell you. See, if you're developing certain practices in your life, such as Bible study, uh, prayer, worship, generosity, and those types of things, that's, that's part of it. And then you allow the Holy Spirit to, be, to become vibrant in your heart and to continually be full of His Holy Spirit. And then, then what happens is the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow out of our lives. And I, but if you don't have that, or you're not pursuing that, or you're not growing in that way, what happens is you begin to move into something that I call spiritual arrogance. And, and truth be told, it, it, causes, uh, it, it, it causes 
what I would just simply call phony spirituality, uh, compromise, and, and, it's, and, and it happens to a lot of Christians. I'd say it really, really does. Regardless of how long they've been serving God, anyone is vulnerable to this if they're not continuing to grow. So that's why I'm nudging everyone to continue to grow. And when, when this happens, when spiritual arrogance comes in and phoniness and compromise, what it does is it slows your spiritual growth, it saddens the heart of God, and it, and it ultimately pushes non-believers away from Jesus. So it does the, has the opposite effect. So therefore you see the enemy wants to keep us dumbed down. The enemy wants to keep us just lacking spiritual growth. He wants to keep you as a spiritual infant or a child or a middle schooler spiritually. All right. And so, so what we need to do from time to time, we need to do a spiritual checkup. In fact, scriptures even tell us we are to uh, we are to check up, we're to do these self-examinations and checkups. So that's what I'm encouraging you to do today. So a great place to start is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. And that's where I asked you to turn today. And this helps to launch us into this spiritual checkup that I'm asking us to do. Because in this passage, we see the gifts of, uh, excuse me, the fruit of the Spirit listed, as well as what's called the deeds or the works of the flesh. Now, the deeds of the flesh, when we read through them, please understand, those need to be diminishing and they, they need to be exiting from your life, okay? There needs to be a downward slope on all of that until these things are nailed and out of your life. And the fruit of the Spirit is something that needs to be growing and increasing in your life. So, in order to ask, uh, answer and address that first epic question, uh, which is, am I growing spiritually? Let's look at what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. And that's why we have these two lists. We need to know what's bad and what's good. Take a look at it. Here, and, and ask God to convict you as you read it. That's good, because the conviction of the Holy Spirit helps you there. All right. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. These are the things that need to be diminishing and being eradicated from your life. They're evident, which, is, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these so that means there's even more stuff like that, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you. So he's told him about this in the past. He's telling him about it again. He says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's dangerous territory right there. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In fact, they can make no laws to, to eliminate those things. And that's, that's amazing, all right? And it says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. So you've, you're nailing those, the flesh or those deeds of the flesh, which helps us to understand what it actually is. Nail that to the cross <laughs> so those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So 
When you're not developing the fruit of the Spirit, the deeds of the flesh are going to gain traction in your life. Even if maybe you push them down or move some of them out, they're going to start coming, trying to come right back. And you're either going to be moving in one direction or another. I mean, less of the deeds of the flesh and more of the, of the fruit of the Spirit or a diminishing of the fruit of the Spirit and an increase of the deeds of the flesh. And it is a very subtle shift when it happens. And, and I, I, I say this to you, just like, just like Paul was saying in this passage, I say this to you to warn you so that you can be spiritually healthy. And, and what happens is it usually results with a person uh, becoming arrogant and spiritually prideful, like I shared with a moment ago. In fact, Jesus even warned against this. But knowing the fruit of the Spirit, which I just read in Galatians 5, and knowing the deeds of the flesh, that will help you stay on track. It's kind of like spiritual guardrails, and this will help you as you grow spiritually. So if you're going to be growing spiritually, you, or you, you would like to know what it means to grow spiritually, I've, just, I've listed three things here for you, and here's the first one. Actually, I'm sorry, not three things. These are the seven spiritual markers. The three things are later in my sermon. I don't even know why I said that. It's these seven spiritual markers that I want to address. So leave that up there here for just a second, all right? Here are these seven spiritual markers of spiritual growth. Bible engagement, passionate prayer, wholehearted worship, humble service, joyful generosity, consistent community, and organic outreach. Let me hit each one of these. First of all, Bible engagement. What that means is that you're learning to love and to know and to follow the scripture. Passionate prayer. That's an increase of your ability to speak to God, to listen to God, and to gather together with others to call on God. Wholehearted worship means developing a heart uh, and, and your lips and your life to glorify God and to, and to laud the goodness of God. Humble service is extending acts of kindness and service, and you do all those things in the name of Jesus. Uh, joyful generosity, it's recognizing that everything that you have is a gift from God and that we love to share those things. And then the next one is consistent community. What that is, is that's where God's people simply love each other and connect with one another, and we connect with our spiritual family regularly. That's what that means. And then the last one is organic outreach, which is sharing the good news of Jesus, which is a normal flow of our spiritual life. Now, you can't pick out one or two and say, those are my things, all right? Now, there are some that you're going to be stronger in and weaker in. Everybody is. Nobody bats a thousand on those seven spiritual markers. But, but, uh, but, but it's, it's a lot of times we look at things like, well, this is a restaurant menu, and you look up there and you say, like you, some of you may go to a restaurant this afternoon. You're going to look at the menu, pick out a couple of things that you want. This is not a menu. It's, it's not like I'm going to pick a few. This is, uh, this is more like a recipe. You have to have all of these ingredients in there. And when you do, you're going to see that spiritual growth really happening. So the answer to the question number one, epic question one, is am I growing spiritually? Here's the answer. Put it up on the screens. You can know you're growing as a disciple when you tend to the seven spiritual markers, the fruit of the Spirit is increasing, and the deeds of the flesh are decreasing, those three things. That is a great place to start. Take a picture of that because that will help you in understanding how you're doing in your spiritual life. And that's really the answer to the first epic question. So at the end of the message today, I've told you this already, I'm going to be sharing with you a survey which will be on the City Life app of all of these seven spiritual markers. And, and this is going to help you to see 
where you're thriving, and where you may need to be growing. And it's ultimately what it is. It's a spiritual self-exam. So we'll take that in a few minutes. All right, next epic question number two is this is what is a disciple? Now, you, you hear us saying that a lot about it being a disciple and, and all of this. Well, there, there's a lot of confusion about that. So I want to try to clear the air as much as possible. Now, you, you've heard of the 12 disciples. I know that you have. But what is a disciple? Well, in order to answer that question, what I've decided to do is to talk about what discipleship is first and then answer what a disciple actually is. Uh, so, so a discipleship is this. I define it this way. Take a look at it. It says, when a follower of Jesus helps another to take next steps closer to Jesus. I'll, I'll say it again. Discipleship is when a follower of Jesus helps another to take next steps closer to Jesus. That's simply what it is. That's a very basic definition. Now, this was modeled by Jesus Christ himself. And we find this principle of discipleship all through the Bible. And, and, uh, and I, I do realize this. If you've been around church for a while, you know, well, uh, isn't, you might think, well, isn't discipleship like a program that you go through? Well, I'll tell you that. I know there are a lot of really good discipleship programs, and that's fine. I, I, I'm not a, against those per se, but... I'm talking about the big picture of discipleship. I'm talking about how we live our lives in a specific way as Christian believers because true discipleship, authentic discipleship, it happens when people link arms with one another and it's perpetuated out again and again and again and again. And a course can't actually do that for you. Now, Psalm chapter 78 uh, in the Old Testament is an example of how this happened, about how discipleship actually worked. This is one of the places we find it in the scripture. And you're going to notice how people have to talk to other people who talk to other people. Look, now, now it's up on the screen. It's Psalm chapter 78, verses 5 through 7. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So it starts with Jacob. And he commanded our fathers that they were to teach them to their children so that the next generation would come to know the children yet to be born, that they would arise and then tell their children so that they will put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but comply with his commandments. So this is actually a picture of discipleship, and it is, this has been God's plan from the very beginning. Like in my life, it's very similar to how this worked. Uh, I, my grandfather, my grandfather, his name was Hosea Woody. He got saved out in a, uh, he, he called it a brush arbor church. I've heard descriptions of this, never seen it before or anything like that. But it was a little old Baptist church that was up in the mountains of North Carolina. And, uh, and, and he got saved out there. And so he started taking his family to church. And he took his family to church, and he also discipled. But the old, his oldest son was, was, a, was a man by the name of Wayne. And he had Wayne not only going to church, but he taught him the principles of God's word. So Hosea, my grandfather, he discipled my father, Wayne. And my father, Wayne, discipled me. And I, I, believe me, he discipled me, and he disciplined me. He found lots of ways to discipline me also. He kept me in line. But he... 
and I remember it so clear. He just, I, re, I remember this. It was very, very clear. Even when it came to Sunday church, he says, uh, Sunday church is not an option. You will be in church. You're either going to be sick in the hospital or you're going to be in church. And that's, that's the way I was raised. So I, I don't even think about Sunday church as being an option. It's just part of the rhythm of spirituality. But as, as I grew, I had sons and one of my sons' name is Ian. And Ian is now, there goes Hosea, Wayne, Tim, Ian, and Ian is right back there now. I've discipled Ian, and Ian is now discipling our children. So do you see how that works? You see how that works? So, but, but discipleship also happens outside of physical families. Now, I asked you to look in your Bibles and locate 2 Timothy 2.2, because I really need for you to see this. See, Paul, he writes these words. He's writing these words to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he was this incredible missionary uh, church planter. He was zealous for discipleship, and he did it. He lived it. In fact, this letter, First and Second Timothy, are actually discipleship letters that Paul has sent to Timothy. So here's how he explained the concept of, uh, to one of the men he was discipling, which was Timothy. Okay, take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, two verse 2. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Now that is a biblical model for discipleship. And you can say there are four steps, or I'll just use the word generations. There are four generations of disciples. Uh, remember, what is discipleship? Discipleship is when a follower of Jesus helps another to take steps closer to Jesus. So let's, let's break it down. I want you to see it clearly. Generation one, just call them generations. Generation one is Paul. So he's the more mature believer that would be referred to there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He, he's the more mature believer who takes someone else by the hand. That person is Timothy. That's generation two. So generation two, Timothy, that's the next generation where he's being discipled and he's growing. He's experiencing personal spiritual growth. Then we move to the third generation. So Timothy then is to have disciples and these people help, it says he helps other faithful people grow. So you find faithful people and you help them grow. You take the hand of somebody else and they help them to grow stronger spiritually. And then generation four is this, faithful, those faithful people who were Timothy's disciples are now discipling others. So so it's literally four generations out. It starts with Paul and it extends out to people that he had never met and probably never will meet. And this process is to continue until Jesus returns. In fact, think of it this way. The gospel that you hear, you, for a fact, you know, coming to Christ and knowing Jesus and receiving the gospel, this this didn't just start just recently. No, somewhere way back and it has to go back to Jerusalem. Literally back in Jerusalem, people started doing this and going into all the world and doing this, and it has continued to follow us all the way to here. Wouldn't it be cool to have a spiritual family tree to see how far back, how you actually go back to Jerusalem, but everything does go back to there. And it's because of discipleship that you're even here in the first place. That's pretty awesome. So in a sense, discipleship is generational. Uh, and, and 
we all have the opportunity and the honor to be on, on a discipleship journey uh, as, as individuals to, uh, to be more mature believers. And what we, what we always want to do is we want to find someone else to take their hand, take the hand of a person who's younger in the faith, and, and we teach them to love and teach them about the scriptures and then, then ultimately let them disciple someone else. And it should be a natural process, not a forced process. And it looks a little different for every single person. So this is the biblical method of discipleship. So, so now that we have a general understanding of what discipleship is, let's go back to epic question number two. Epic question number two that I asked is, what is a disciple? Well, in the New Testament, uh, the word disciple is used 269 times. So it is a significant term in the Bible. Although the word Christian is only used three times. Did you know that? The word Christian is only used three times. And just a little bit of a history lesson real quick here is that uh, that, that term Christian was actually kind of put on people who were following Christ. And we see this is explained in the book of Acts. But these people were, were uh, called Christians, which, which, in, which in a literal sense mean like they're little Christs. Please understand, you're not a little God or anything like that. But that's, that's what the term Christian meant. Oh, you're just one of those little Jesus people. So it was, it was actually meant in a derogatory way, but the, but the church, it says, the, the scriptures, the church in Antioch says, oh, okay, great, well, we'll just accept that as what we are. We don't, we don't mind that. So they started calling themselves Christians. But, but understand that the term disciple actually more accurately defines what it means to be a Christian. So uh, being a disciple, that's actually the, that's the paradigm of Christianity. It means you're a follower of Jesus. It means you're following in the footsteps of Jesus and you do what he did and you teach what he taught. So the answer to that is a disciple follows in the footsteps of another. This is the answer to epic question two. A disciple follows in the footsteps of another, pursuing Jesus and discipling others. In fact, there's a literal meaning for discipleship. The literal meaning is this, is that the dust, that, that the dust of the person's sandals in front of you covers you. That means you're walking behind someone else. You're pursuing them. It's like the dust of Jesus' sandals uh, covers you. So, so a lot of times people look at Christianity and say, well, Christianity is all about just trying to be happy and, and be victorious. And I, yeah, I'm happy. I have joy and I believe in victory. And I'm, but, but it's not just about, let's just have victory in everything in our lives. It really, an, a, a component of Christianity, which is discipleship, it's about obedience and it's about perpetuating the message and the legacy of Jesus Christ from one person to another, to another, and to another. Now let's take a look at epic question number three. <laughs> Here it is. What's the deal with evangelism? Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard that term, but, but uh, a lot of Christians don't like to use this term. And because it conjures up some images that, 
that it's like, uh, I don't know if that's, if that's really what I wanted. I don't know if I'm really into evangelism because like one of the images that it conjures up around downtown here is that you are one of these people who gets a wooden stool and you set it up over at the, at the Sundance Square Plaza and you get, you get a, a speaker and you start yelling at people, telling them they're going to hell. Like that's evangelism. I've been yelled at. I've been told I'm going to hell. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's, it's all happened. Like, okay, well, I guess I'm evangelized. You see, th- th- let me just, just tell you. That, that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? I want you to erase that image of evangelism. So in order to get a good understanding of this, we need to look at the, the, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Just put it up there on the screens. It says this. Jesus said this right before he left. Go and make disciples of all the nations. See that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. You see the discipleship component there? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So right before Jesus departed this earth, he gave this command to his disciples, to his followers. And it wasn't just the 12, there were hundreds of disciples, okay? And, and, it says, and so he told them what they needed to be doing. This is the stuff you need to be doing. And, and this is where Jesus officially set discipleship in motion, which has continued into this day. So, all Christians are to make disciples. All Christians. All Christians. This includes, now, when, I, when we talk about evangelism, this includes people who are far from Jesus. Like, total non-believers. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go. He said, Go, go, and we have to obey that. So, so what happens then is we are now able to, uh, to help people to know and to grow into all the things that Jesus taught, all the things that Jesus commanded according to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So that scripture that I just read to you, it's about evangelism and discipleship, and you can see it's clearly connected. So evangelism actually is a component of discipleship. I'll say that it's a component of discipleship. It's not some separate thing that people do out there at the Sundance Square Plaza uh, on the wooden stool. No, it is a it is a it is a very it is simply a component of discipleship. I hope that opens your mind up to this because the two cannot be separated. You can't you can't separate the two. And, and I've heard people say, well, I'm I'm more of a discipleship person than an evangelism person. I've, I've heard people say, well, our church is really a discipleship church. We're not an evangelism church. Well, I have to say that's not even possible because evangelism is a component of discipleship. In, in fact... We believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so when you're full of the Holy Spirit, what happens is, is there's something in you, which is the Spirit of God. He gives you boldness and you will naturally be able to engage in evangelism. You don't have any fear associated with it. So the Holy Spirit actually gives you power to do evangelism. And, and that, that's, okay, I, I really, really want you to attend the Holy Spirit workshop on Saturday. Please come. Please register so that we'll have enough food for everyone. But please register. Let us know you're coming. And come out here Saturday morning, 9 till noon, because we're going to be talking a lot more about how the Holy Spirit works uh, through the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And, and how He gives us power to then be witnesses for Him in unique ways. Now, 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and this is literally seconds before Jesus lifted off this earth to go into the clouds when he departed after this is his, it's called his ascension. He said this, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, as far as the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, now he says, you shall be my what? Witnesses. You shall be my what? Witnesses. So, Jesus didn't even want his disciples to leave Jerusalem to go around the world discipling people like he'd already charged them with. And he didn't want them to go and be this witness yet until they had received this fullness of the Holy Spirit. And when they did, they came out of there full of the Holy Spirit and they literally turned the world upside down. Discipleship movement exploded and you're still We're still a part of it dating back to Jerusalem in A.D. 33. Now, that, my friend, is just cool. That is just really, really cool. So, okay, practically. So you see see now evangelism and discipleship, they they work together. Evangelism is a component of discipleship. So what does discipleship look like? Well, discipleship is when a parent takes time every evening to read to their child a Bible story, to pray with them, to teach them to pray. Discipleship is when one of our children's volunteers prepares a lesson every single week and passionately presents the truth of God's word to a group of kids. Discipleship is when a a follower of believer develops an authentic relationship with a non-believer, prays for them, prays with them for their own prayer requests, invites them to church. You share with them the things that God is doing in your life, and you show them things in the scriptures that you're learning about the scriptures. See, discipleship is when a woman experiences abuse or rejection or loss, uh, maybe some, some horrible, painful experience, but received healing and hope through the power of the Holy Spirit and then launches a connect group to help other women with similar struggles. See, discipleship is when a man who's had a struggle with maybe alcohol or drugs or, or pornography or another addiction, he experiences freedom in Jesus Christ and begins ministering to other men with similar struggles. Discipleship is when you pray with a person to accept Christ and then you just begin to meet with them. And it's that's a, it's, it's a lively thing to do. And we even have a tool for that. We've been using, we've had this tool for almost a year now, and it's called our Following Jesus Devotional. Some of you didn't even know it's there, but it's there for you to use. This is there for you to use. Uh, if you, if you uh, go to the City Life app, and at the very bottom, tap this little thing that says Interact, you'll see this thing that says Following Jesus. And it's a 12-day or 12-session study. And you can just simply sit down with a person. There's podcasts on there. There's the, uh, of teaching. There's some there's some uh, uh, challenge questions. There are scriptures to look up and to read and to sit down with a person with a following Jesus thing. All they got to do is download the City Life app and it's all prepared for you. That's a method to disciple people right there that we put into your hands. And uh, that's discipleship. Discipleship is when a business leader they share their love for Jesus in the community. They share their love for Jesus with their staff and with their business, and they, they show how they, they operate their business under kingdom principles. Discipleship is when grandparents pray and 
and they, they, they pray with their grandchildren and pray for their grandchildren. And they share with their grandchildren their own stories of faith. And they model what it means to be a follower of Jesus in every area of their life. And I could go on and on and on and on and talk about how discipleship works on your cultural streets. And I can do that. But, but, but let me just pause right here and say, I'd say this. I want you to hear me well. The coming of Jesus is close. I feel this very strong. The coming of Jesus is close. And this is a time and this is a season when we absolutely must be fully committed, devoted disciples of Jesus Christ with no compromise in our lives. And that's my challenge to you. Continuous growth, continuous maturity, it is critical for you and it is critical for me. In just a moment, I'm going to give you this opportunity to uh, participate in the spiritual growth survey. Uh, but uh, as I wrap up, I, I want to share this poem with you, and it's on video. And this poem was said to have been, I don't, really, it's, it's, I don't know about the origins of it for sure, but it is said that this poem was actually found under the pillow of a young pastor who had been executed. He was martyred for his faith for pastoring uh, in Africa, and, an, Af- and a, an American missionary had found this under his pillow. Uh, and it's known today as a martyr's prayer. It's called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And this is what I desire for you. Take a look at it. I have Holy Spirit power. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past redeemed, my present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, position, promotion, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience. I am uplifted by prayer and labor and power. My face is set, my grade is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my God reliable, my devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. This life is short. It is brief. When all is said and done, when we cross over into eternity,
God's not going to care about how cool your clothes were. It's fine to dress in cool clothes. He's not going to care what kind of car you drive, and it's fine to have a nice car. He's not going to care about where you went on vacation. Vacations are wonderful. Ultimately, God is going to respond to us regarding how faithful we were to him. The biggest act of faithfulness is discipleship, where you're bringing others along. You can't take anything with you into heaven. Nothing. When I was by my father's side two and a half years ago, when his spirit left his body, I was a witness to this fact. He didn't get to take anything with him. <laughs> Nothing. My brothers and I, we went to his bedroom after he had passed away and kind of looked around at all the stuff that dad had. And there were some of prized possessions that each one of us had. Wow, this is so cool. I found a big, huge box of his sermons and found his guns, you know, and found letters that he had written, possessions of his, jewelry of his, and I want to tell you, none of that went with him to heaven. But what dad does get to take into heaven with him are the people that he's led to Christ through the years, the people he's discipled. And I just challenge you on that. I challenge you to not only be a disciple, but to be a discipler. One way or another. And for many of you, it's in multiple ways. What I do up here, this is discipleship. It's a simple, very simple form of it. But I, and, and I love preaching. I love preaching God's word, preparing and preaching and delivering it. But I tell you what I love even more is sitting down one-on-one with a person and walking them through how they can grow. You might say, I'm not equipped or prepared for that. You've already given you the tools, and you're not going to be able to answer every single question a person has. It's not about that. It's about simply being a disciple and discipling others. First and foremost... If you are not in relationship with Jesus, if Jesus Christ is not the Lord and Savior of your life, now is the time to give him your heart and to give him your life. So before we go any further, I want no movement around, no looking around for just a moment. We've been talking a lot about self-examination today, but right now I want you to examine yourself and ask yourself the question, should Jesus Christ return today, would I be ready? Have I given my life to him? Is my sin forgiven? And if that, if you cannot answer yes on that, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I want you to believe God that your life will be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's something that's called new birth. Jesus wants that for everyone. So with nobody looking around, if that's you this morning, I want, you, I want to be able to connect my faith with you. So at the count of three, lift up your hand real high so I can see it. That way I can connect my faith with you, and then we're going to pray together. If you need Jesus in your life, it's time to turn your life over to Christ. Will you lift your hands? One, two, three. Lift them up. 
thank you, thank you, and thank you. you put your hands down. Anyone else? If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. Congregation, I want you to pray it as well as encouragement to those who are making things right with God and giving their lives to the Lord. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your precious blood. Today I make the choice to give up my past and to embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me new life. And today I choose to be your disciple. And as I grow, I will disciple others. I will be a true Christian. I will be an authentic Christian. And I thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your word that has challenged me today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God, I pray for every single person in this room. I pray that you will convict us. Like I said at the very beginning, God, we want you to convict us. Convict us so that we will be fully devoted disciples of you, Jesus. Fully devoted, fully committed. God, that we'll put ourselves to the test on these spiritual markers as and the, the fruit of the Spirit and, and the deeds of the flesh. We'll, we'll put ourselves to the test and to see where we stand. And, and God, that we will continue moving forward. And we'll just not do it alone, but we'll do it with others. So God, I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of our lives. God, we don't want to go through the spiritual motions, yet leave the Holy Spirit out of the picture. Because what's the use of that? So God, just flood us with your Spirit. Fill us with your presence. Let us be true lights in darkness for you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.